Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to It's Rainmaking Time. This is Kim Greenhouse. I have to tell you that the gentleman that we have invited to the show today is a very, very unusual man. His name is John Irwin, and he's been invited on a number of levels. One is because he is the founder of something called the Irwin Machine, the Irwin Combat System, which is a wholly integrated combat system that can neutralize any attack by armed or unarmed assailants in a close quarter environment. He has a very specialized, unusual training in Europe where he can work with people who need to work either undercover, allow them the ability to operate undercover and still provide a protection role without requiring logistics support or actual weapons on them. He is the author of a new book called One Step Beyond the 16. If you like thrillers, adventure, spy movies or novels or movies of the week, this reads like one, only there's a catch to this whole thing. John, when he was 18 years old, was called up for national service in Britain and thought he'd have this ordinary tour of duty, and he had no idea that he would be recruited into a top-secret unit called the 16, whose task was to assassinate key figures throughout the Middle East. For 40 years, he's had to keep this unit quiet. This is a time in his life when he's breaking the silence to tell his amazing and unusual story. There's no way any of this can be confirmed, and there's nothing that has ever been revealed about this mysterious group. It makes it something that you have to get your own sense of yourself. One of my interests in interviewing him when I first heard about him was to talk to somebody who is an assassin. What happens in the mind of an assassin? How does one become an assassin? How does one compartmentalize to such an extent that you can carry out that kind of activity? So there's a lot of questions I want to ask him. He's also looking at making a movie of his experience and many of the things that he's learned Ladies and gentlemen, welcome John Irwin to It's Rainmaking Time. Good afternoon in Britain. Hi, Kim. <laughs> I better be nice. You better be nice. <laughs> <laughs> and that's not even funny. I better be nice. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm going to have to watch myself when I come to Britain. Firstly, I want to talk about the book itself for just a moment. Because I read all the books of the authors that come on the show, and you're now a new author. And it reads very much like not only it happened for real for you, but if it didn't happen for real, you have to be pretty close to the subject matter because it reads like you're literally in a live movie. I really enjoyed reading it. It hits the ground running pretty fast. For those people who may not believe that it's real or accept that your experience is what it is, that's why I also want you to talk a little bit about your training. Without giving the whole book away, what is the Irwin Combat System? Right, the Irwin Combat System. It's not just a physical thing. It's um, the training from the very beginning is to, um, how can I explain it? It's to get into the minds of the people so they can understand where the enemy is coming from. In other words, who's my enemy, where's my enemy, and why? And how can I put that? It's very, very difficult. Um, you must be able to understand the enemy before you can defeat him, you see? So you have to understand everything about him from 
how he lives, his traditions, his his um, religion, and and everything about him. So it's not just a physical thing. Do you understand? Sure. Yeah, it's not just a physical thing. Um, now, when I talk in the book that we're doing punch, we're doing kick. That is true. Well, people, when you say that, they can't imagine how you could possibly disarm someone or take control of that scenario without um, doing some kind of strikes, you understand, pushing or punching or kicking. Uh, but we're doing, I don't even actually grab anyone. And because when I say things like that, people automatically think there's something magic here. There's nothing magic about it. It is all physical. Um, it's all got to do with setting the people up. It's making them believe that they're in charge when all the time you are. And disarming people with guns, it's setting them up in such a position where when I disarm them, it's all got to do with acting. It's all got to do with convincing the people that your enemy, you've got to get close enough to them to be able to disarm them because, like I said, disarming someone, it's quite easy to disarm them, but how do you get close enough to do that without um, being suspicious or shooting you or, or whatever or telling you to, to get down, to shout at you, get down, and um, then they get someone to, to restrain you, you see? So to be able to control that scenario, um, you have to, to be able to be a good actor. Um, you have to be able to get the people to do exactly what you want. You start to understand? I understand what you're saying. Now, although you have distinguished your training as very different than martial arts, I don't remember if you said this in an interview or if it was in the book. I can't remember, but you said it's better than martial arts. That's a big jump. The things we do is is in re complete reverse to what the martial arts do. As I said, we're doing punch, we're doing kick. We're doing have to. It's not necessary. I'll try and explain that because it is a very, very difficult subject. If you punch someone, you push them away from you. That's what you don't want because they'll only come back. Uh, if you're punching someone, they are aware that there's a problem here. So just like in boxing, they'll either pull away or they'll duck or they'll do something like that. So therefore, even if you punch them, you're not going to do that much damage to them. Therefore, you've got a problem. This guy's going to come back. And if he has friends around him, well, you're not going to last two minutes, are you? Uh, um, so again, we don't punch and we're doing kick because kinking kicking and punching would only push your opponent away from you. Then you've got another problem. If the people that you're defending yourself against are either in the armed forces or the police, they have things like helmets, body armor, bandoliers, um, and all sorts of other equipment, which if you want to punch them or try and kick them, you do some serious damage to yourself. So again, I can't go, in, go into this too much but if there's any anyone out there with, uh, who's in the armed forces, I've got something to do with the armed forces in authority, by all means come, come and see me, and I'll do a demonstration for them. Um, this is already taking place in England. I don't know if you're aware of the SES. The SES is our special forces. 
they've had their majors up here this evening and they wanted to buy these skills off me and, but I wouldn't really entertain them. I wanted to get some proof off these people that what I did was unique and that's exactly what I did. I got a contract off them. I got uh, communications off them saying just that. Also, I was invited abroad by the Egyptian Special Forces. I went over there, did a demonstration over there. I got a medal off them. And I also got um, a parchment with a signature on saying I was the best county, uh, counter-terrorist expert in the world. You must forgive me because I, I have an accent and I'm trying my very best um, to speak English as clear as I possibly can. Um, so the, the Egyptians invited me over there because they had read the book. They knew I had been in their country um, and that's why they invited me over there because they wanted to know uh, Operation Get NASA. That, that was one of the operations we did. They wanted to know how we got it into the, this particular compound and I showed them how it was done. Um, any more questions on that? Well, I guess I want to go back a little bit to you at 18 when you left your mom and dad and you enrolled in the service thinking you're going to be serving your country only to find out that you were being identified for this select secret assassin group. Once you actually got into the group, how come you were able to not have a problem killing anybody? I want to understand how you went from going in the service in a potential war scenario to the assassination mode, how you made that transition mentally. Well, I went through a program called The One Step Beyond. It's a fear elimination program. And um, exactly how they do that, I really don't know. Um, it could be a form of hypnosis, but there wasn't any drugs involved. I sat, at, I sat at the table across from one of the main instructors called Ken, who talked to me for about an hour. And after that, I had no, so, sorry, how can I put this? I had no recollection that I had been there for exactly four days. I had lost four days of my life. I just literally vanished. And during that four days, I was being trained in what they called the machine. Regarding your training where you lost time, are you at all concerned that maybe you've been turned into a Manchurian candidate to an extent? No, no, no. That, that, uh, uh, the reason why I'm struggling trying to explain it to you, because we're, we're going to make a film fairly soon, uh, sometime next month, and all this is going to be explained. And they let me see, they, they, this program called the One Step Beyond, this fear elimination program, is to let you see what death is all about, what happens when you die. I experienced death, I, expe I experienced the, the leaving the body and, and, and um, seeing what's actually, it's very, very hard to describe this. Um, again, it's a, it's, a, it's a fear elimination program which they put you through 
and it takes you into a different dimension sort of thing. Uh, what happens then is when you come out of this, you, you, you seem to have lost all fear. You, you don't fear death anymore. I don't know if that uh, explains it to you or not. The inner workings are obviously part of whatever you went through. Yeah, the idea is to switch up the conscious brain, get into the subconscious brain, and plant the information there while you're still under the influence, you see. And under the influence of the training. Yeah, under the influence of the training, yeah. So for four days, I've been practicing in this, in what they call the machine, this hand-to-hand combat. Now, I checked up on you a little bit. And I was actually referred to you by one of our listeners who had taken your class. And he said in writing that he is able, as a result of going to your class, to not only defend himself, but if necessary, to kill anybody that comes in his path. That's a pretty strong statement. And this is a guy who's an animal rights activist and into food and health and all that. So... I thought that was unusual because he's the one who had suggested you. I want to talk to you about the fact that at 18, your mom had suggested that you go to the service, right? Yeah, I had an option, you see, because I was serving time. After I left the, the, the farm, I went into a garage. I was going to be a motor mechanic. And um, I had an option then because... It was reserve occupation sort of thing. I didn't have to go into the army if I was serving me time, you see? Right. And then I realized that I was really wasting me time at the garage. I wasn't going anywhere. And uh, that's what made my mind up in, in joining the armed forces. You didn't like the armed forces, did you? I, I didn't really, no, I didn't. Um, no, I, I, like I said, when I first went in the armed forces, my mom said, well, you, you know, you... you it's a chance you to, to go around the world and see the world, and um, and that's one of the reasons why I went in, really, because um, I couldn't see a future of being a mechanic um, at that time. Um, as I said, um, the motor industry wasn't that big. You know, you understand, there wasn't that many opportunities uh, in the in the in the late fifties. Um. So, yeah, I, I joined the armed forces. Uh, uh, when I was going through my training, um, because I didn't drink, didn't smoke, I didn't have much to do with, with the lads, to be quite honest with you. I used to go down to the gym every night, and I used to train there. And it was during the, the training when I was uh, approached by a sergeant who got chatting to me, and, um, and he was asking us about how I felt about the position I was in at that time. And um, I said, look, I, I just want to get my national service over and I want to get back out of the army because it's not what I thought it was going to be like, you know? And then he said, well, would you like to, um, uh, again, um, uh, he said, would you like to uh, do something more adventurous? And I said, yeah, I, said, I prefer to do anything other than what I'm doing now. He says, okay, um, you'll be approached when you get abroad. And I had no idea then, because I was still going from between, I had no idea that I was going to be going abroad. It was after the, the training, there was, um, there was a panic on in the Middle East where 
18,000 troops left England in one night to go out to the Middle East. And I found myself um, in London Airport um, flying over to um, the Middle East. And it was during that time when we had trouble with one of the engines on the plane that I was on, and it diverted us to uh, Malta. And when I got there, I found that uh, my plans had been changed. Now, I was, it was taking us to Cyprus, and that's when it all began. Do you ever wonder sometimes if the way your life has unfolded, if it was all written already? Well, they seem to know everything about it prior to me um, going in the army. Um, when they were asking me questions, they knew about um, my childhood. So they knew all about um, my past history. I don't know how they came by that. And they didn't want to answer how they came by that, did they? No, they didn't. And the reason why I'm struggling here, I have to be very careful what I say. Um, no, they, they, they knew all about this. I couldn't understand why they, were, why they chose me because, like I said, I'm not an educated guy. I hardly ever went to school. I think I spent five years at school. This was during the war. And uh, I couldn't understand it. I, 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 to me, I didn't have the qualifications. And um, they would keep on saying to me, yes, you have. And, and I found out later the qualifications were the fact that I was a keep fit expert. I didn't drink and I didn't smoke. And they would keep on saying, you haven't been contaminated, whatever that meant. Um, and because of that, they said I would be able to go through this one step beyond and get back from it. When you said to me a minute ago, I have to be careful what I say, is that because of the movie that you want done, or is that for other reasons? It's for other reasons as well. It's a bit of both, really. Okay. For the people that accept your story, your experience, your life experience, what does this mean to different types of agencies in England and in Europe are you considered a threat to them? Are you considered like a coach? How are you perceived, and do you know? The best way, I think, the only way I could answer you, yes, I am a threat to these people because um, most of our armed forces and police are taught by martial arts experts. Therefore, everything I do is in complete reverse to what they do uh, so therefore, yeah, I, I am a, I am a threat to these people. If they accept what you're everything saying, they do. It makes it look. Um, I don't want to be um, arrogant. Arrogant. Um, yeah, that's the word. <laughs> Cocky. Uh, I'm looking Cocky. for. Um, <laughs> it's yes. It will really upset these people. I know because I've had some of the top martial experts come up here. And I've literally embarrassed them, but I didn't do that on purpose. Um, I was asked to go by a company called Britain, who's a sec one of the biggest security companies in Britain, and this is where it all started. They wrote to me, asking me, now how can I put this? Because in respect, I didn't really want these people to know about me, but the only way I could get credibility to prove that what was in the book is true I needed people like this to say what you got is the best and what you got is so unique. 
So the only way I could do that was I had to get involved with these people, whether I liked it or not. So when I got in touch with Britain, a, a guy called Dave Golding asked me to go down to Hereford with the SAS train. And they wanted me, they wanted um, to get their opinion on what I did. In other words, write up a report to Britain whether they should take it on or not. So I went, I went down there with a team to their gym and wanted to have the hard the top martial arts expert training in the gym. So when I went in there and asked me to, to uh, explain what it was all about, which we did, and then put a demonstration on. Now this martial art, this is not an exaggeration. We've got proof of this. It's not something just off the top of my head. Uh, I'll not mention the lad's name. When I put the demonstration on and proved that everything this guy was doing would get them into serious trouble. So I showed him how I would disarm people and, and, and you know, disarm people with either machine guns, machetes, whatever, and whether they had shoulder straps on or not. This guy was so shocked. Uh, I had a big audience, by the way. These were ex-police and, and people from Britain, from the security company were there. This this top expert went over and sat down next to Dave Golding, that's the guy who, who uh, invited me down there. He said, Dave Golding said to me, this instructor was shaking, he was terrified. I said, well, this is why I brought this to an end. I didn't want it to go any further. I didn't mean to do this. I didn't, you know, I didn't want that to happen. And uh, I hope your audience can understand this accent of mine. Um, and then Floyd Wood, I shouldn't mention the name. Anyway, this major of the SES who was there examining me said, yes, I think Britain should take this on. And he stopped everything uh, because he didn't want anybody to see what else I could do. And he made arrangements to come to see me. In the meantime, he wrote a report of what he had seen and what he had experienced and he sent that report on to Britain, which I got. And he said, these were his words, he said to Dale Gowling, wherever this came from, there must be geniuses. That's the very words from their major out of the SAS. In a sense, are you directly or indirectly implying that a ninja could not take you on? They're like the black ops of the martial yeah, arts. I'm sorry, yeah. Again, again, I... I, I don't want to create unnecessary enemies. No, 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 I know. But, you know, they I'm work by fly, surprise, no, I, right? I, I guess, yeah. Um, they, 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 I think these people are... <laughs> I'm sorry I'm laughing because I don't know how to explain it without insulting people. Well, okay, then then stand by for a minute because you certainly don't want a bunch of ninjas after you. I'm not worried about a bunch of ninjas. <laughs> that's I've got no problems with that. You know what? You as many ninjas as you like. <laughs> <laughs> you remind me of a sassy Bruce Lee of Europe, but you're not Bruce Lee and you're not doing martial arts, right? Well, no, you I, kind I, of I really, remind I'm me. I'm really against martial arts. You see, I, sometimes I, I get really laughed at people bring martial arts experts to, us, to me, and uh, I get carried away sometimes. And when they, like, for instance, I'll, I'll give you an example. Uh, I did skydive in a place called Topcliffe, Alan Brook Barracks. 
And I, I did skydiving there for quite a few years. And when I was there one day, the, the, one of the instructors there, who was a very good friend of mine, brought these two lads over and said, these lads were in about, what, 25, uh, 24. And he says, these two guys are black belts, uh, second dans. And I just couldn't help it. I said, oh, what a shame. I said, have, have they been to the doctors? Have they seen about this? And I was in a bit of a bad mood at the time because people were keep ramming this martial arts down me throat. And I said, okay, I said, jumping about in your bare feet, breaking your toes, getting spikes in your feet, and then banging your head against bits of woods, I can't see how that can help in, in, you know, in the battlefield uh, or in self-defense. I see you're doing the complete opposite of what you should be doing. You see? And I said, first of all, if it's freely available, it definitely isn't any good because the enemy knows. I said, so if it's on YouTube and it's freely available and everybody knows about it, you can forget about it because it's not going to work. It's as simple as that. <laughs> and I said, <laughs> anyway, that's my thoughts on it. So basically your primary area, is it counterterrorism? It's everything. It's it's to deal with espionage. It's to deal with everything. It it it's it it's mainly it would be really useful to people like um, like your your CIA or British intelligence. It's where people have to infiltrate various organisations without having to carry any weapons. But it doesn't matter if you've got weapons or not. It's um, it's better if you haven't got any weapons because therefore you don't look a threat. The idea is not to look at a threat in any way, shape, or form. So it's like doing weight training, getting big muscles, because all you're doing there is telling somebody that you can be dangerous. Therefore, that's the complete opposite to what you want to do, because you're telling people, you know, you're a threat. Um, so therefore, people won't confront you head on. They'll do something else. In other words, you don't like get people and you don't get gangsters learning uh, martial arts or, um, you know, all that. I know quite a few rough lads up here in, up in Newcastle where I live. And these guys are gangsters. Um, these guys would pull up in, in a motorcycle next to your car and put a bullet in your head. Uh, these are people who put a bomb underneath your car. Uh, and I can solve all those problems. I can teach you how to deal with that scenario. That's that's what I, that's what I'm all about. Knowing when it's going to happen before it happens, and put you in a position where you can do something about it. John, I know that from what you've said that you have a lot of issues with martial arts, but isn't the part about the mind and being able to know ahead of time before something happens and training oneself to be able to get to that point? That's also true in sports. You know, I was a former tournament tennis player for 13 years. Well, what you're doing in sport, you psych yourself up. Uh, this is why NLP is used in, in most sports. It's to give the guy more confidence, right? Um, that's what it's all about. It's all about getting into the head. And so you do doing panic on the day and you're in full control of the scenario. And, and but, but it, it, in my respect, the idea is to give the enemy the, the impression that that he's in full control, make him feel good. And the more he feels good and safe, the closer I'll be able to get to him. But if I look at threat in any way whatsoever, um, he's not going to let me near him to do anything to him. 
You know, the picture on your book, you look scary. <laughs> you look much nicer in person. Well, the thing is, I was just dressed like the locals, to be quite honest with you. You know, the idea is to, to look and act just like the, en- like the enemy. I remember, I don't know if you know the book Bravo to Zero. I have not read it. Okay, it's a martial, it's a um, it's, um, British SES who went into, uh, into Iraq. And the whole thing's a lie from start to finish. It's it's so obvious, you know. And um, but again, it's you see the SAS who went into the desert. They had British uniforms on. They had these huge packs on their back, which weighed a hundred and something pounds. And then they went into the desert, where anybody could see them for miles. And the more weight you carry, the more food and the more water you need. It's a very, very silly thing to do. So I was asked by, when the SES, SES asked me how I would have done it, I said I would have went in by bus. <laughs> That's great. You see? And it was the same with the Iranian embassy. You get, 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 your people, get the people who's listening to this to have a look at the Iranian embassy. Now, this is how silly the SES are. What they did was... During the, the, it was the Iranian embassy in London, I forget what year that was, but they did a raid on it. Now, the police were in control of the situation, and then they sent for the SES. But what they did was, they put all of this on film. They showed you how the SES came in by helicopter, landed on the building, they tried to upsail down the side of the building, one actually got stuck, while the other guy was throwing a thunder flash or something through the window, the flames came up, burnt him. The other guy came down, upsailing down, panicking. This is where the one step young comes in. See, these guys were panicking. He landed on his head. Then they broke into the building. They set fire to the building, had to get everybody out. Uh, they got the terrorists, but don't forget the terrorists were just four or five young men who were panicking. And they had all of this on film, and they let the enemy see the film. So that's a rather silly thing to do. And the building actually was burned to the ground. The, the, the building was burned to the ground. I was asked how I would do it. I said, well, I wouldn't have done any of that. I wouldn't have had the cameras on. I didn't want anybody to know I was there. I would have went in as the doctor. I would have said to get the police to say, listen, I need, uh, we need to see the hostages to make sure they're okay. Is it all right to send a doctor in? Therefore, I would have went in with just a white shirt on, carrying a bag, knocked on the door, walked in, and then take them out. That's how it's done. That's what it's for. That's what I train people in. So part of you does think like a ninja. No, no. I'm not dressed up in black gear, and I'm not running no. about anywhere. No, but your mind. Uh, I'm not going to sword. No, I know. Uh, I've got no weapons. I'm walking in, and I go in, and the methods that I use are complete opposite to what the martial arts would use. Right, but the ninjas highly specialized. The reason I keep bringing it up is they work by surprise, but I know what you're saying. It's none of that. There are some elements that remind me of the ninja, that you work by surprise. Surprise is well, part of the it's, it's just, you may as well say I'm just like the lion. Because <laughs> the lion does exactly the same thing. Works by surprises. Maybe you are a kind of lion. 
(laughs) (laughs) You're kind of a tough lion. I would not like to be on the other side of you. Have you had any women that you've trained in Europe? No. And not not because there's a problem there. I mean, I just don't have any women coming along to be trained. They're probably scared. Okay. I don't know. If they've got that problem, well, it's no good them coming. <laughs> they got to get through the fear of meeting you first. Well, I think if when people do meet us, I'm the complete opposite to what they think. Right, which is even it's more image, scary, it's right? It's the build up in their own heads, you see. After reading the book, the build is this image. It's not like that at all. Right. The thing that's exciting is that, obviously, there is this ability to transcend one's fear of death, which puts one in a kind of total dominion of oneself. You're still respected. You don't want to die. Right. You understand? So I won't run about taking really unnecessary risks. It's It's all planned. You know, from the very beginning, well in advance. But, I mean, it makes me do the job a lot easier because I'm not frightened of death. Um, I'm not scared in any way. That, that's the whole object of the exercise. Um, in other words, depending on the scenario, I would act as though I was scared, deliberately, to get me in the position I wanted to be in. You see, so I need I need to be in full control of whatever the scenario is. I have to match that scenario in such a way where I'm in control, but they don't believe that. That's where the training comes in. It's all psychology. It's all. It's not. There's a great deal of physical training in it, um, and this has got nothing to do. Nothing to. Nothing to do with. Uh, keep them fit, it's got something to do with training the body to react in a certain way where you can cover every angle, but you don't have to have a thousand moves to do it. So it obviously requires a certain level of mastery and skill. How long does it take you to train? Let's say there's a group that comes to learn from you, which you've pre-screened and you've accepted. Well, you have what you call an assessment day. Okay. You have to have it. You can't. Uh, how long is a piece of string? It's like saying, uh, someone comes to me, how long will it take me to train? I don't know that. I don't know how clever the guy is, how fit he is, what problems he's got, if he has any. Uh, so I have what you call an assessment day. So I bring him down and I find out how he thinks, you know, what, you know how fit he is, has he got any problems, uh, how does he react, can I change that, can I help him to, to be better at certain things? And I have to do that in, in, in one day, I will put him through this assessment. And that will give me a good idea how long it will take to train the guy, if that's possible to train him. So not all not people. Not everyone is yeah. capable of, of learning it. It's like saying, it's like chess. How many people are capable of playing chess? Even if they learn the game, are they any good at it? I get it. They might be able to play the game, but they might not be any good at it. So I have to have this assessment there. And I put, like I said, I do various tests. Well, what you call initiative tests to find out how clever you are at working something out. You see, like I said, the, the, the operation in Cairo was to get into this compound, into this big building, which was surrounded by Russians and Arabs as well. And we had to get into that building, 
kill the guy and get out without everybody uh, looking for us, like the, the, the armed forces chasing me. We had to get in, but we didn't know this until we actually got into the building, how we are going to do it. We couldn't plan it, because we had no idea um, what the officers looked like. or what he. I knew what he looked like by the photograph, but other than that, the plans were worked out as they came along. So we had to get... We had to get into the building first, onto the building. The building was surrounded by 14-foot wire fences plus a guard patrol. Now, we have techniques that can get me from one building over to the next building without anyone noticing. Now, again, if people want proof of that, it's not a problem. If people have if people in the armed forces, someone with some kind of high authority, I just want... I don't want... Um, any Tom, Dick or Harry coming down, putting us to the test. I want people who's in authority to come down and I can prove that we can do these things. It's like a river. If I come across a fast, a fast flowing river, which is impossible to get across, and it's not too wide, we'll say it's about 35, 40 feet wide, but you couldn't get across it, even in a boat, I can get across from one side to the other in just a few minutes without touching the water. I don't fly across. <laughs> Thanks for making that clear. <laughs> <laughs> but again, it's like when I said I don't punch people and I don't kick people, they immediately come up with some, I've got some, some magic powers. That's ridiculous. I haven't. Wait. Again, it's like the martial arts. There's so many different styles of martial arts. You'll say, well, how many ways can you possibly move your arms? Believe us, I can move my arms and I can defend myself completely different to the martial arts. That seems one hell of a statement, but it's true. It's true. It's again when I'm disarming someone. Say someone's got a, a, a pistol and I point the pistol at us. Well, first of all, I have to know... How do I get that close without the guy shooting me? Um, but we'll, we'll say we've solved that problem, and I've got this guy pointing the gun at us. The first problem you've got is he's, he's twitching, he's going to pull the trigger at any moment because he's ready for anything. Now, the object of the exercise is to try and take the gun. Now, quite a number of things can happen. One, the bullet can hit you. Secondly, he can pull back away from you. Thirdly, you have what you call a slide, which where, where the empty shell comes screaming out. If you put your hand over the top of that, you, you can lose your fingers. You have the blast coming out of the front of the gun, which can blind you, even if the bullet misses you. Then you have the sound, which can deafen you. Now, the object, the exercise, is to be able to take the gun to the point where he can't stop it, where it ends up in my hands and not his, and I don't grab the gun. I won't grab the gun at all. Do you understand? I won't yes. put my hands around it. I won't grab it. Now, once people hear that, I don't know what's running through their mind. <laughs> but it's a lot easier than what you think it is. I feel Harry Potter in the scene. <laughs> well, there's nothing magic about it. When people see it, they say, oh, my God, why didn't we think of this? 
the imagination can do wonders with what you're talking about. I mean, obviously, there's a sixth sense involved, too. It's the part where all human beings are missing. That's why I went through the one step beyond. The object, the exercise, is to be able to do things and to control that scenario, control the man's feelings, to get him to do what you want him to do. You don't go screaming in, otherwise he'll just shoot you. And if you go in there looking as though you know what you're doing, you'll do exactly the same thing. So it's all got to do with psychology. You have to have a great deal of confidence in what you do. You have to be really good at what you do, but you haven't got to show that. You haven't got to show any arrogance at all. You're going to be able to look at the scenario and mold in with that scenario um, where you're in control, but all the time the, guy, the enemy thinks they're in control. That's the whole object of the exercise. Are you available for hire as an assassin now? <laughs> want me to say that over the phone? <laughs> You've answered my question. <laughs> okay, yeah, folks. I, yeah, I must apologize to the audience because I think I'm a bumbling idiot here. No, you sound very clear to us. Okay, I hope You so. sound very clear. And, I'm, and the reason why I'm hesitating as well, I find it very, very difficult to explain the impossible. I understand. Or what appears to be the impossible. I understand. It reminds me of trying to explain rainmaking, as I said to you earlier. On- rainmaking is where you, you have a, an Indian headdress, <laughs> and you walk in your underpants, and you dance around the garden, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Exactly not. <laughs> exactly not. In rainmaking, basically, we make a commitment, and it's done. That's it. There's nothing to discuss. The matter is taken care of and done. And it's kind of like when you describe how you go out into the field, let's say you get to the compound, you don't have to have a plan of how you're going to get in and get that target. Well, you, can't. you can have you can have an idea. You right. can say, well, there's, we've got these big fences, we've got guys with dogs walking about, so you can have that idea in your head. But the object, again, which we'll get back to that story, we got into the building... When we got into the building, we got through it through sort of a skylight. And when we looked down, we found that the guy had two guards outside of his door. So we, we caused a distraction in the courtyard by setting fire to this hut that had some kind of a generator in it. And the guards left the room, left the, this passageway, and we dropped in. And what we did was, now this is where everything seems absolutely impossible, but... If, you know, if people want me to prove it, I can prove it. Without a shadow of doubt, this is what we did. We walked into the room. The guy stood up who was at the desk. Who We, we look at the photograph in front of him and said, that, that's him. <laughs> and one of the lads knocked him out, put him at his desk. We found he had a revolver. We used the revolver. We shot him in the head with the revolver. And we had what you call them. Um, we had found an oil filter a brand new one, and one of the trucks we had stolen. And we, we knew that would come in handy, or it could come in handy, so we took it with it. Now, all this sounds like a bit of a fairy tale, but honestly, it's true. That's why the Egyptians invited us over there. And we've got proof of that. We've got photographs and made over there. But again, when we got in the office, we knocked the guy out, then we shot him. I saw some keys on the table, large keys. There was only one door, one door, leading into that room and out of that room. There was, there was some windows, but they were heavily barred. 
with steel bars, and we come up with the idea, because that's what we're trained in. The object of the exercise then was to make it look like suicide. So to make it really look like suicide, we got the keys, we locked the door, we put the bolts in the door, top and bottom, put a chair underneath the handle of the door, put the keys in his pocket, but we weren't in the room when we did that. We weren't in that room when we did it. <laughs> that scrambling your brains? <laughs> I bet you got a headache trying to work that one out. The SES major who came up to see me said, that was impossible when I read in the book. I said, well, why don't you sit in the office? I sat him in the office. I locked the, the, the doors from outside of the room and put the keys in his hands. <laughs> and he stood up. He was shocked. And all I used was just bits of string. And I did it in less than three minutes. Did you train with Houdini? No. Well, I could have done. He could have been. <laughs> well, instructor was very, very clever. Now, are you in touch with your instructors? Yeah, point. Somebody asked me once when I was being interviewed. Again, I have to get this over. This guy called Ken, who, who put me through this training. Uh, now, how exactly that was done, I have no, really no idea, because, like I say, I was part of the training. I was... I was in World Cuckoo Land for a while. <laughs> and what I'm trying to explain is that this guy was about six foot one or two. He had blonde hair, long blonde hair, which, he, like I say, used to die now and again. And big, bright blue eyes. And there wasn't a thing this guy couldn't do. He was so clever. He also spoke, he also spoke several different languages. Uh, used to fly in on a helicopter now and again when he used to bring us the information from the rest of the 16. Now, don't forget, my little group was only four people. Ken was the intermediate. He's the guy who brought with the intelligence. The eight of the, the, the other eight of the 16 were scattered about the Middle East who were living in these countries and getting the necessary information we needed. Also... Well, logistics would be planted there as well. So if I went to Egypt, there'd be certain parts where either food or weapons would be hidden, and we knew exactly where they were. And there was also a, a, a B plan as well. If things went wrong, the 16 would help to get us out. But, but that was the idea of making it look like suicide when we were in Egypt. The idea was to make it look impossible for anybody to have killed this guy. This is why we had to lock the door, put the bolts in, put the keys in the guy's pocket. Now, anybody coming and, and getting into that office and breaking it down, they're going to have they're going to have no doubt at all that the guy killed himself. It's a bit like you know Diana. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. You hear us? Yeah. Are you? Like I'm Diana. not. I'm not make nervous. It look, make it look like an accident or make it look like suicide. You see. So when we left there, there was no one chasing us. We didn't have the problem as our special forces have when, uh, you know, armies are looking for them. We didn't, have, we didn't have that problem. Have you been in touch with your original teachers, John? No, I don't think they... I, I don't know whether they're still around or not, but they're, they're, they're about five and six years older than what I am. And I'm 74 now. Uh, so you imagine they're going to be in their 80s or 80-something, but they would have no reason to contact me. Well, I, I'm telling that. I'm telling the fib there. Yeah, I was being interviewed once, and um, I was stuck on something, and it was regards to uh, some of these 
two glass objects we picked up from Jalabat, and I could never really work out what they were. I was told they were for advanced technology, and we're really going to the fairyland here. Um, but anyway, I looked at these two bits of glass, uh, what looked like glass at the time. I didn't touch them, and these things lit up. But apparently, I was told that it was advanced technology. And I had a phone call a week later of Dynamo, that's one of the, my team, and he says um, it was more than advanced technology. And he left it all of the need to, you know, he said, listen, it was more than advanced, uh, advanced technology. It has something to do with dimensions. And he put the phone down. That's strange. <laughs> Very strange. That's all I got. Yeah. All he said was it wasn't just advanced technology. It has something to do with dimensions. I have a question. I want to go back to your first kill. <laughs> I really do. Okay. I really do, because I think this is very important. This is your initiation into being an assassin. Yeah, we were trying us out, yeah. Talk to us about your first kill, how you felt. I felt as I'd done it all my life, to be quite honest with you. It was the train I went through. This, uh, I was rather shocked at the time, because it felt so easy to do. Now, this is where, Kim, this is where the big problem lies, you see. Your audience has no idea exactly what I went through and what I saw. And this is why we're trying to get a film made um, of my whole experience. Now, like I say, it's not in the book. And it's all got to do with life on Earth, why we're here, uh, you know, what it's all about, how it came about, you know, what happens when we die. Um, I want to get all this down on film. Why people feel the way they do feel, like... Like, for instance, gears, uh, why people have multi-personalities, why... The whole thing, I can tell you the whole story. And I want all this done on film, because bits of it, people wouldn't understand. But put the whole thing together, and it all adds up. And and, and you would have to experience that. Or, 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 yeah, you have to experience that to understand how I felt when I did these operations, these... Um, these operations we did. Right. But it was for, so easy for us to do them. It was it was the walk in the park, if you, if you like. Right. And we I enjoyed it. I totally understand how on a on a tactical and technical level it could feel like you've done this your whole life. The exhilaration of it, the fact that you enjoyed killing, where does that come from? I don't know. I really don't know. Prior to me going in the army, I was, um, you could say I was a gamekeeper. I had lots of cousins and uncles who had farms. And I used to look after the landers. So I used to, I was a marksman before going in the armed forces. Um, you know, I, I was a bit of a survivalist then because I, I used to have my own boats. I used to fish. Um, and like I said, I, I did a lot of hunting, trapping and things like that. But um, I really respect life. Uh, don't get the wrong idea. Um, I'm not a psychopath. <laughs> uh, no, I'm in full control. I really, really respect life. But I understand life. I understand what it's all about. I don't want to say too much more. <laughs> I understand. I understand. For those of you who would like to read John Irwin's book, 
one step beyond the 16 to get a feel for the inner workings of his life, his story, you can go to johnirwin.com, J-O-H-N-U-R-W-I-N.com. And there's a link there to his book and his new website is being developed now. Is there contact information yes, for you there? Yes, they can also go to ucsdefense.com, ucsdefense.com. And if anyone out there wants to question me on this or, or talk about it, by all means, give me a call. I also want to ask you one last question, which Any, is the, anything, which anything is, for you, Kim. <laughs> which is this, John? And you know rainmaking is not about wearing a headdress, so there. Okay, so... Um, yeah, I worked that one out, yeah. Yeah, uh, really. But do you think Mossad would be interested in your services? Let, let's put a reserve on that. Okay. Um, <laughs> it's, it's like, look, at the, again, I brought all this out. Right. And the reason why I brought it out, because we have a, the world's in a terrible situation at the moment. And I think England, in the next two months, it's going to be in a real bad way, put it that way. I think something nasty is going to happen in London. It's all planned. It's all got to do with New World Order. And that's what it's all about. And don't forget, this is what I want to tell your audience. When I went into the armed forces, I went into the British armed forces. But the outfit I ended up in had nothing to do with the British armed forces directly. What we had was we had... Um, Certain military officers, the world would be rogue officers. Do you understand that? Yes. So uh, what we were doing wasn't for the British government. I get it. I totally get okay? it. Okay. Yeah. But you, know, I'm not sure. To do with the British Armed Forces or the British government. That's why we were trained in the way we did, and this is why it was an ideal situation. When I was in the regiment, I was in. They could send me out in working parties. But obviously, I had to be a good setup there for them to arrange that. They arranged for me to go to other camps, which I never, I never, it never happened. I was away training, but it was all set up so I could do that. In other words, we were an invisible army. Right. Fact, I, I did ask uh, Ken one day, I said, who are we? You know, who are we? And he said, well, it's very, very difficult to explain, he says, but... Have you ever heard that saying? I saw a man that wasn't there. He wasn't there again today. But I wish that man would go away. I said, what's that going to do? And he said, that's you. Yeah. Who do you think you were working for? Seriously. I was working for a group of people who were trying to protect England and the English way of life. Okay. I'd like to say more, but I can't. That's your general assessment now. Yeah. Did you know that then? Did you feel yeah, that then? Yeah, 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 I did, yeah. Okay. John, you're a very interesting man, and I want to wish you the best with your book, your training, and all of your future activities. Thank you so much for being here. Well, I hope I haven't upset any of your listeners. Oh, no, I'm sure they're strapped to their chairs. And I hope you understand what I've said. And I have hesitated and stumbled a bit here because, as I said, it's very, very difficult to try and explain the impossible. That's okay. We thank you very much for your time. And, well, I'm and saying to your listeners, anytime, if any of these people want to get a hold of us, they can get a hold of us on Skype, they can get a hold of us anywhere. I'm not hiding from anyone. Thank you so much, John Irwin.